0: You're listening to Episode 2 of the Bass Guitar Worship Blender Podcast. All right. Well, we made it. We're now on episode two. We've got past the first one, where it was mostly just an introduction. And now we're really going to get into the meat and potatoes of what this podcast is all about. I've got the... Uh it got this episode broken out into four segments, and I hope you'll listen for all of them. The first segment is going to be about octaves and how to play those in a different way than what you might be familiar with. Uh, the second segment is on a little invention that I guess I've kind of created. Uh, it's called the Fretted Fretless uh, Bass, and uh, it's a little different. Um, I'm throwing it out there and just seeing if that's an idea people will uh, gravitate to, or if it's something where people say, Brent, that is just the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And then our third segment, which I hope you'll stick around for, is how to get a synth-based sound without actually using a synthesizer or any kind of pedals. This is if you're just got a bass, maybe you're plugging directly into an amp, or if you're plugging direct into the system, into your PA, uh, you're not using anything, and now your worship team says, hey, we want you to have more of a synth-based sound or play these songs that utilize a synth bass how can you actually pull off a synth bass sound without using any additional equipment and then the final segment will be where we'll focus on music over gear and uh, let's go ahead and get started segment one another way to play octaves this podcast is going to be difficult for me to really show you how to do anything technique wise because well there's no visuals involved with a with a podcast. It's all audio. So this is going to involve, on your part, visualization. But that's not a bad thing because visualization is used by a lot of people in order to improve certain skills. For example, athletes will do this. They'll visualize their, you know, what they're doing. Like if they're a football player, they'll visualize themselves running and catching the ball. Um, if they're musicians, they'll... they'll uh, you know, visualize themselves playing particularly hard parts on their instrument or, uh, visualizing themselves on the platform playing and, and what the different environments will be. Um, so a lot of people do this and I can actually, the kind of, um, you're going to think I'm getting off topic here, but I'm actually going to bring it back towards the podcast and what I'm actually talking about here. About 20 years ago when, uh, I was just getting into mountain biking and, th- I was really getting excited about it. I had just bought this, you know, my first full suspension mountain bike. I was all excited. I had some trails near where I worked at a place called Santos that had just miles and miles and miles of really cool off-road trails, really enjoying it, but I was noticing when i'd go out there because i didn't really know how to shift my gears and i just you know did kind of a newbie thing where you just put in a kind of a middle gear and just kind of ride there on all the trails in that middle gear something that's easy enough to ride on um but it's really you're not gonna <laughs> you, you so you don't get stuck but also at the same time you don't have a lot of speed on it either so you're just kind of in the middle well i was noticing as i was riding out there that uh and on these difficult terrain and a lot of these this difficult trails that I'd be on, I'd have to walk and I'd see all these other guys just fly by me. I'm like, how in the world are they doing that? I'm having to walk here and they're just making it look so simple. And then I started to realize that's because they're changing gears. They're using the gears on their bike to do help them do the work of what, you know, I'm trying to do with just one gear in my legs. So, and right about that time when I was getting that realization... I had to have uh, some surgery and so I, I had to be off the bike for a few weeks and, um, and that was a bummer for me because I was just starting to kind of go oh wait gears I think I need to do that and, and I was all excited and then I had to be off the bike and so while I was down I started reading a lot of mountain biking magazines and books and things like that on the topic and, and found some good articles on shifting gears and some stuff online and so I spent a lot of time reading and studying that stuff and visualizing in my head the trails that I'd already been on. Well, how could I apply that technique on mountain biking and the shifting of gears and everything? How could I apply that on the trails? And played over and over in my head, um, you know, okay, now I'm at this part of the trail. Okay, here's where I shift here. Okay, here's where I downshift here. Okay, and the next time when I finally got good where I could be back on the bike again I started I went back out there and started riding and I was so improved on biking just from doing all that visualization and honestly it was probably the most uh, progress I ever made on mountain biking in the shortest amount of time and so I went from being just a very lame mountain biker to actually being pretty good and it wasn't too much longer till I was riding all those same trails that I saw other guys riding on and doing it you know almost flawlessly so taking it now back to the podcast and actually playing bass um is uh i want you to visualize a lot of these things that i'm talking about in your head and uh really try to think, okay, when I'm mentioning notes, okay, where you're playing that on the fretboard, uh, what fingers are playing that particular note, um, really play it in your head so that it it gets in your head. And so that it becomes, um, when you go to actually play it on your instruments, like, oh yeah, that's no, that's no big deal at all. So the first thing I'm going to show you how to do, show you here, I am saying show you again, when I'm I'm going to speak to you that the, was something that I want to show you um, is I'm going to tell you about octaves and a lot of people do them. This is a, something I would consider a a entry level almost kind of technique um, on this podcast. I'll have stuff from all levels, but I figure I'll start off on something basic here. So if you already know about octaves, then, hey, just bear with me for a few minutes. Um, But if you don't, if you're just starting to get into playing bass or just getting into playing octaves, this is a way that you can play them easier than what you might be playing them. Um, Because most people, when they realize, oh, I can slide up and do an octave, it's like, ooh, you get this, you know people love doing that it's like oh that's so much fun and people love sliding into notes so if i'm playing a g note and i want to slide up an octave what i'll do so say i'm on the i'm on the third fret of the e string playing that g and then i'll slide up on the same string to the 15th is that right yeah 12 13 40 50 yeah 15th fret um and play that g up here so you got to You know, you're sliding the whole entire octave on one string. Well, that's all well and good, and I do that all the time, and it sounds great. Um, But if you're trying to get to a note quickly or efficiently, you might want to do this This little trick where, say, you're playing that same G on the third fret. And again, visualize this. Maybe I'm, well, I'm using, I'm playing it with my my first finger, but wherever your hand happens to end on um, in the song that you're playing, it could be a different finger. But for this exercise right now, we'll just say, okay, I'm on my, I'm using my first finger and you can slide up to the fifth and then you can hit the uh, G above the fifth. So on the same string, now I'm on the 10th fret, and when I go from that first finger, typically I'll go to the, by the time I'm at the, 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 um, the D on the, on the E string here, the fifth, excuse me, the 10th fret, then I'm usually on my middle finger, and I transition to the G on the string above so it sounds like this as opposed to on the same string and the you get there faster and you can get there a lot more accurately because if you're having to slide all the way up to here on the same string there's more of a likelihood that you might miss this top note trying to get way up here as opposed to going up a string it just makes it a little bit easier now and really it it there's not a whole lot of difference in sound. You can you can kind of hear it when I've got the bass singled out like I do now, but when you're playing within a band with drums and guitars and keyboards and everything else and singing, that pretty much sounds the same as... Nobody's going to tell the difference. So you can get those slides in a shorter period of time, and also say if you needed to get there quicker then. that string you you've got less of a distance to cover now you can also end on that you know if you're going up to this uh, this note here on the string up going up to the 10th the 10th fret um, you can also end on different fingers like in this case i ended with my pinky on this note Um, might do this if i'm in maybe like a minor key Because then that gives me, you know, the positions there that I have versus on. If I'm in a major key, I'll probably go to my third finger. It just depends on what your next uh, notes are going to be as to where you actually end on that slide. It might just be where you're now in if you're going to be sliding up and back down I wouldn't go to the the string above I just stay on the string you're on so you know something like that you're going to stay on the same string but it's really when you want to end on that octave note higher is when you when I typically just do the the string jump and I only go up a fifth and then hit the uh, the octave above so that's a little trick you can do um, it can say again it can save you some some time on getting to that note it's usually more accurate to get there because you're not having to cover as much ground and it pretty much sounds the same in the full mix of a band doing it there versus staying on the same string so i hope that's helpful for you segment two the fretted fretless invention i'm kind of a bit of an idea guy i'm always thinking of new ideas i probably invented tons of things that um, just stay in my head, and yeah, I could probably uh, take these ideas and and go get them patented or trademarked or whatever, and you know, go through that whole process, but honestly, am I really going to do that now? So instead of letting them just die in my head, I'm at least going to put them out there. Uh, Yeah, I should probably protect them, but I'd rather just get the ideas out there. And honestly, I don't even know if they're good ideas. So uh, this is one of my ideas. I'm going to tell it to you. Uh, Tell me what you think. Um, And I'll just try and explain it the best I can. It's basically... um, what I call the fretted fretless bass it's uh, okay so you're playing a fretless bass this is for fretless bass players that are familiar with this now you know when you're playing your fretless bass now you might be totally awesome and better than me and you can play your fretless bass without even looking at it and just playing by hearing the notes and being really spot on with your intonation hey awesome for you Um, but if you're not that uh, good at being able to hear yourself especially in a live situation situation where monitoring might not be at its best and you've got to look down at your headstock a lot more Uh, headstock your fretboard that's what I meant to say got to look down at your fretboard more often in order to see where your fingers actually are. Um, so in that case, the, you know, you're having to look at your bass a lot. So you're not really able to just, you know, focus on playing or looking out at the congregation or whatever. Um, so you're really just stuck at looking down at your bass because on frets, if you're playing with a fretted bass, you can look away from your instrument a lot easier because you can feel where your fingers are at on the fretboard, based on feeling the frets. I mean, you've got a little bit of wiggle room in between the frets where you can place your finger. Yeah, ideally you need to be playing on the fret, Um, but if you kind of miss that when you're not looking, you still got the safety net of the fret playing the note where you need to be. And as long as you kind of know you're in the right spot, you're pretty much hitting the the notes. so on a fretless bass, you don't have that sense of that tactile feel to be able to say, hey, here's where I'm at. So this is an idea. it I'd probably only work on a bass where you rip out the frets on an existing fretted bass, and normally they, whatever they do, they fill it in with whatever and, you know— plug up the where the fret was actually mounted into it and it's just flush there's like a flush surface with the fretboard of the base and so from that point on now it's a it's a fretless base so instead of when you rip out the frets um, my idea is that you actually put in a fret that actually has no Uh, nothing that protrudes out from the fretboard it's actually kind of flush with the fretboard itself maybe now of course there might be a little bit of of uh, material because it's got to have a a little bit of something there Um, but it would be very flat and was like a pancake instead of sticking up like a, a mountain peak if you were to look at the profile of it so the idea then is that and also that instead of having a A smooth finish on the fret, it would have a rough surface, almost like sandpaper, so that when you're moving your hand up and down the fretboard, your fingers are actually able then to feel that rough surface where the fret used to be. And so then you would have an idea where your fingers are actually at on the fingerboard when you're not looking. Or even if you are looking, it still gives you a little bit more of a tactile surface to hit. Now, my fretless bass came from the factory as fretless. And um, so there was never frets in the fretboard anyway so nothing that ever had to be filled in so I will confess I've never actually played a fretless bass that formerly used to be a fretted bass that had the frets ripped out so it might be that the frets on a fretted bass that's now a fretless bass probably might already have some type of tactile feel where the the substance that they they fill in the frets with are now leaving some kind of tactile feel behind so i could be trying to invent something that doesn't even need to be exist it could be a a solution for a problem that doesn't exist as they say but anyway that's just an idea i had you could make the so the fret itself could actually since it's kind of like a pancake as opposed to a mountain peak you could kind of spread it out so that it, it oh it overflow so to speak the little groove that goes into the the fretboard of the instrument so you have more of a surface there um, but you just wouldn't make it rise up very high so that you know you'd be able to feel it um, so you know the wider it would be the more your finger would be able to, to feel something tactile there so anyway that's just an idea I have I, I don't even know if I'm explaining in a way that makes any sense to you um, but if it does I'd like some feedback uh, find out if that's something that uh, is really of interest maybe it's not but maybe it is our featured segment players are figure out how to make their bass sound more like a bass synth or some of you might actually be playing a bass synthesizer, playing actual synthesizer, uh, a keyboard bass synthesizer um, in addition to playing a bass guitar. But a lot of you are trying to get more of a bass or excuse me, more of a synth bass sound out of your bass using pedals and things like that. So you're going out and you're buying pedals because you want to be able to sound like all these you know contemporary worship groups that are using a lot of synth bass in their songs. So um, not everyone can just run out and grab, uh, you know, spend a bunch of money and grab a synth bass pedal when their worship team says, hey, we want to have more of a synth based sound. Can you do something about that? You know, well, OK, great. Now the, you know, the bass player has to go out and spend more money. And that's not always the thing that you have to do. Um, really. It- here's a way that you can actually get more of way, It's not going to sound like a synth base, but you can kind of mock a synth base sound more by just using your existing equipment. Say for example, and this, this, this particular segment is going to be aimed towards people who do not have much of anything as far as a pedal board. Maybe you're just going direct into an amp or maybe you're just plugged directly into the PA system through a direct box and nothing else. Um, Um, Now, some of you might actually have at least a compressor pedal. Um, That would be awesome if you at least have that. But let's just start off first uh, thinking that, hey, you've got a bass guitar and it's plugged directly into a direct box and that's it. So let's break down how to get more of a synth bass sound with just that equipment. Can it be done? I think it can. Well, again, you're not going to sound synthy, but you're gonna get more of, you can more imitate what the synth bass is actually doing so it it fits more within the mix because My opinion, you know, I don't think you have to get the exact synth bass sound in order for it to sound right for your particular worship team, but you do need to get the right feel of the synth bass and, you know, and your bass part in order for it to to sound good. And here's what I'm trying to say. Think about how a synth bass plays and then play more like that. Um, Number one, a synth bass, let's talk about the sound of it. It's going to have a big, full, deep sound. It's usually got sub-oscillators and all these other things that you can program. Typically, um, you're going to have, um, and I'm not going to deal with the stuff like the overdrive and fuzz because I'm going to assume that, again, we're just a stripped-down setup. Um, So you're going to definitely have a big, full, you know, kind of sound. You're not going to have a lot of note definition. So let's say you're on a passive bass, plugged in direct. Um, I would use, if you're using a jazz bass, I would just use the the uh, neck pickup and I would turn the bridge pickup all the way down. Also would roll off the the tone knob all the way. Um, if you got a, a bass other than that that has a tone knob, turn it down all the way and try to get whatever pickup combinations you have. Try to get whatever is the, the boomiest type of sound uh, if you're on a P bass, just turn down the the tone knob. Because what you want to get is that kind of sound that doesn't have a lot of note definition. Um, So that's the first step. The second step is thinking about a synth bass and how, well, let's go back in time a little bit, because most of the synth basses are all based on what was invented back in the 70s and before. The, you know, a lot of people are going out there buying the Moogs, and the Moogs, originally started out 1971 when the Mini Moog came out. Actually, there was the modular modes, mode MOGs before that, but starting with the Mini Moog, that was invented in 1971 when it came out, and uh, that's what a lot of the new Moogs are based on, and a lot of the other synth bases are trying to copy the Moog sound. That's kind of been a big bass sound for years and years and years. Um, so those old Moogs and a lot of the other synths that were out at that time, they were... They were uh, monophonic, and they didn't have any any uh, velocity sensitivity to them, meaning you can only play one note at a time. So if you're playing a note, and then it, if you're holding that down and play another note with another finger, it's going to cut off the first note. And also, since it didn't have any velocity sensitivity, there's you, you couldn't hit the keyboard lightly and get... Boo. And then hit it hard and get it's just all going to be whether you hit it softly or you whether you hit the note hard, it's going to be the exact same volume, and also if you. When you hit it and you let go, well, actually, the you, most of the time it's set up so that the it, it holds out for as long as you hold out the note, meaning, yes, you can control the envelope and get different uh, ADSRs to get the the sound to change over time the way you want it. But most of the time with the synth bass, it's going to be you push the note and it holds that note brrr, at the same volume for as long as you hold down the note. You release the note. Brrr, and it cuts off. So when you're thinking about that on the bass, and this is where a compressor comes in good, because a compressor can really help to level out the signal, and you can put a lot of compression on there so that you have an unnatural amount of compression, or a natural smoothness to the sound, meaning there's no dynamics whatsoever. But that's how a synth bass is. A synth bass of, you know, 70s era synth bass is not going to have any dynamics at all in the sound. So if you have a compressor definitely use that but if not um, at least think about getting your notes to hold out and get as much sustain as as you can out of it because a lot of the synth based stuff it's really it's just it's holding one note um, a whole note for a measure and you know it's just very slow moving kind of stuff now if you're playing something more quick and um, you know active then it's going to be a little harder to get very you know every note to be exactly the same in volume but you know, that's where practice comes in. But, um, you know, so think about it, say, on the slow songs. Think about, you know, when you're holding that note, pretend like, okay, you're imagining the keyboard player. He's pushing down the key, and it's an even volume sound, and it's holding out right until it releases. And usually the on a keyboard you can push one note with one finger and then as you're pushing down on the other note you're releasing the one note that was being held down so it's kind of like a trade-off so so there's not a pause in between the notes um, where normally a bass player go there might be a little bit of breathing space in between the notes, and that's usually good. Uh, kind of gives a good organic feel when you're when you're grooving with a drummer and whatnot. But with a synth bass, you don't want to have any breath in between the notes. You just want it to be. You know, you really want it to, to one note to go directly into the next note, and there to be no changes in volume. Because sometimes you're holding a note, boom, boom, and you actually hit a note too hard, or you don't hit it hard enough, and and you get that uneven balance in in the volume, and that's that's gonna that's gonna take away from that synth bass sound. Now, if you have an active bass, you can definitely um, push the bass frequencies, cut the mids down cut the, the highs all the way off. So again, that you get that real kind of bass sound without any definition in the higher frequencies. So this isn't going to give you an exact synth bass sound, but you can at least use your existing equipment. Think like a keyboard player, think like um, a 70s era synth bass and you you kind of put all that together in order to get more of a synth based technique, more of a synth based kind of uh, tone to what you're playing. Then if you can add some more pedals or whatever at a later date, great, but maybe you don't have to, maybe you can just do those types of things thinking about being a synth based player without the equipment, but how the synth player plays it. And you might actually be able to get by utilizing your existing equipment and not having to spend more money for more equipment. Focusing on music over gear. Okay, imagine you get invited to a Bible study, and so you get your Bible. You go to the the Bible study. You you join with everybody in a room. The facilitator says, "Okay, welcome everybody. Okay, get out your Bibles. Okay, you get get out your Bible. You're ready to do some studying." And, and then they say, uh, "Hey, check out check out George's Bible. Check out. Oh, look at the leather binding on that. That's pretty neat." And then somebody else says, oh, you got to see the the print in this Bible. The print in this is really cool. Oh, yeah, that's a nice font. That's great. And then somebody else says, oh, hey, look, you know, this is I got a I got a large print Bible. It's a lot easier to read. It's a lot bigger, though. And somebody else says, oh, yeah, do you find the the weight trade off of having a heavy Bible is worth it for that larger, easier to read font? And somebody else says, you know, you get what I'm saying? It's like everyone's just actually talking about the Bible as a physical object as opposed to actual scripture and a lot of times that's kind of what we're guilty of as well a lot of it's most of the time it seems like if you go to any online forum for bass playing or anytime you get together with other bass playing friends that tends to be what we talk about as we talk about our equipment we don't actually talk about the music that our equipment makes instead we're like hey check out this bass oh should i buy this set of pickups oh what about you know this preamp here oh should i use this bass cabinet or this one over here for this gig or, oh, what about the color scheme on this base? Oh, look how pretty it is. Oh, versus this one over here, blah, 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 blah. So I'm kind of challenged. Well, and first of all, I'm, I'm guilty of it. Uh, my hands raised. You can't see it, but my hands raised. I'm saying right here, I'm guilty. I probably spent way too much time, you know, reading Sweetwater catalogs as opposed to actually reading sheet music. So <laughs> I'm guilty of it uh, myself. And let's face it, talking about gear is fun. Uh, it's it's fun. I like I like talking about gear. And so I'm one of the guys on all those forums and everything that's talking about gear and what pickup should I get for my bass next and blah 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 blah. So. My challenge to you is to spend at least as much time with talk, or at least as much time talking about music as you do talking about gear, or at least as much time talking about theory or uh, techniques or anything else like that with other musicians as you do with gear. And if we can do at least that, I think that'll help us all to be a whole lot better as musicians. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you for listening to the Bass Guitar Worship Blender podcast. I hope you'll subscribe, and we'll see you next time.